I want you, if you would, to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We started three weeks ago today. We started a, uh, a new series on Wednesday nights. I'm excited about it. I, I believe the Lord's going to bless it. Anytime you study a book of the Bible, you know it's going to be good. You don't have to make up anything or, or try to uh, make it seem more exciting. God's Word is exciting and it's rich and it's full and it's what we need. Amen. It's our bread that we live by is the Word of God. And so this study on, remember, First and Second Timothy, uh, I might be a little redundant, but it's for a purpose that, that we would really learn in, in what God is teaching us. But First and Second Timothy and Titus, all written by Paul, of course, are known as the pastoral, pastoral epistles because they're really writ written uh, to encourage and instruct these pastors. They're just as much relevant for us and just as useful and a blessing to us today as they were when they were written by Paul, by the Holy Spirit through Paul. And so let's pick up in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 4 through 9 and um, 4 through 10. And we'll see if we get this far, but, but this is what we're going to shoot for. Verse 4, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in the faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is love or charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for the sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. We're going to stop right there. We did not read this, but let's look at verse 3. Paul says to Timothy through this letter, I besought thee, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So this passage, and, and pretty much a theme for, the, for all of three of these epistles that we mentioned uh, in this passage for sure, is about holding the sound doctrine and walking in it and not preaching the false and charging some, charging people or commanding people that they teach no other doctrine than the sound, healthy, wholesome doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so that, that's the theme throughout this. And he says there's some that are already doing that. Well, that's just the nature of, of the world. That's just the nature of of darkness and light you know when you have truth that's brought forth like Paul brought the gospel to so many cities and towns and regions that where people got saved there was always the devil uh, right there trying to subvert it trying to per pervert it trying to uh, to stop it trying to kill Paul he was stoned and left for dead in in Iconium I believe he was uh, shipwrecked and all these different things. The devil is there to try to blind people's minds so that they don't believe. 
but greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Just keep on plugging away. You know what I mean? Keep plugging away. You might share the gospel with somebody and they curse you out, literally. And you say, that was horrible. That was a horrible experience. Just keep, keep plugging away. Keep sowing the seed. A sower went forth to sow. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Some fell on good ground in that parable of the seed and the sower, and people were saved. And some people want sound doctrine, and they long for it, and they heed it, and they obey it, and they walk in it, and they grow like a, a healthy tree that's planted by the rivers of water, right, that brings forth its fruit in its season, Psalm 1 talks about. So just because the devil's there doesn't mean he has to win. Just because the devil's there doesn't mean we have to fear him or give up and say, well, the devil's always fighting and undermining what I'm doing. He's trying to. He's going to try his very best. And if we stay in the will of God and keep our eyes upon Jesus, he has no authority over us. He has no authority over our church or our churches or over your family. You keep your eyes on the Lord. And so he's charging uh, Timothy. There's already people teaching things they ought not teach that are false, that are wrong. Some people are just ignorant, and they might ignorantly teach something that's false. I think more than that, uh, more often the case is some people know they're teaching wrong, and they're, they're trying to subvert. They're trying to subvert. They're trying to draw men after themselves. Okay? And all we desire to do is point men to Christ. I think I said it last week. To live in such a way and to preach in such a way and minister in such a way that if God for some reason removed me or some of us out of the way that the church would be fine and keep their eyes on Jesus and keep walking with the Lord. I don't need personal followers. I want us all as a church to follow Christ. I wish there were more. I prayed for more. But those that are here and until God sends and when God sends others, we want to walk together in Christ, keeping our eyes on the Lord. Amen? Faithful to him, and thank God for his faithfulness to us. Okay, so let's look at verse 4, because we pretty much finished through verse 3 last week. But he says in verse 4, uh, at the end of that verse, he says, Godly edifying, which is in the faith. Godly edifying, which is in faith. Uh, the only, only message that edifies men, and that word means to build up. The only, and talking about the spiritual man, the only message that will edify and build up a child of God, his spiritual life is the word of God. So anything other than that, okay, stuff that's just ridiculous, stuff that's just um, tricky and, and hard, maybe to dis harder to discern, whatever it is, uh, the only thing that will edify your life and my life and any man's life in the Lord, both to bring them to Christ and then to build them up once they've come to Christ, is going to be the word of God. So we stress it. We put an importance on it. You can't speak about it too much. We don't worship the Bible. We worship the one who gave us the Bible, but he reveals himself to us through his word. And he builds us up through his word. Man shall not live by bread alone. Jesus told the devil when he was tempted in the wilderness and, and defeated him with this, uh, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Fables and endless genealogies are not going to build anybody up. So that's just one error, but I do want to talk about it for a minute. Th this to us may sound kind of strange. Neither give heed, verse 4, to fables and endless genealogies. 
One key is it is that they're endless. They just keep on talking about it. They keep on talking about it. So I studied this. I know the Mormon church is big, uh, is paramount, and their religion is to study the genealogies of their own family. It's, it's very important to them. It's part of their religion, okay, to study their ancestors and their ancestors' ancestors and so forth back through the line. Well, from what I gathered and what I've studied in the church of Ephesus at this time, uh, there were there were those that made up myths. Basically, they looked at the Genesis genealogies and the genealogies from the Old Testament, and they put myths to them. In other words, they they built beliefs that aren't biblical, that aren't supported by Scripture, that are myths. They built these belief systems around these genealogies. They read into them what's not given in the scriptures and made stuff up. And and they this is they and then they hung importance on them and they preached them and they they told them and they they you know this genealogy is better than that one and, and so forth. And so uh, and what one of the main things besides it just being ridiculous and false and unsupported by scripture, the very minimum, it's going to take away from the meat. It's going to take away from what we need to hear. If our church, for example, is always splitting hairs over some uh, side, side thing that wasn't paramount to our faith, always maybe arguing and back and forth uh, and trying to establish something that's minimal, that maybe it's just questionable and we don't even have the answer to it in Scripture, but we're fighting for it. It's going to take away from the milk, sincere milk of the word, and it's going to take from the preaching of the meat of the word, from both us hearing it and receiving it and walking in it. Okay, so at the very least, it's going to be a distraction. It's going to be a sidetrack that is not beneficial. It's not going to edify. It's not going to build anybody up. I'm just going to read a scripture here to you. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 16, Henceforth, wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. And some people say he was actually dealing with that problem about the genealogies. He goes, look, I don't care. I don't care. It doesn't matter. We don't know anybody after the flesh anymore. In Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, right, bond or free. We're all male or female. In that sense, we're all, if we're in Christ, we're in Christ. Okay, drop the genealogy stuff. And so we don't know men after the flesh in that sense. And, and pe some say that that is what he was dealing with there. So let's look at verse five. Now, the end of the now, now those things, honestly, they minister questions, the genealogies and the and the uh, fables. They minister strife. Are we supposed to minister strife? No, we're, start, we're supposed to, our speech is to be seasoned with salt. Our speech is to be seasoned with grace. The gifts of the Spirit are given to edify the whole body. Everything is about building us up in Christ, pointing us to Christ, um, and walking in the ways of God, giving us wisdom, giving us, uh, feeding us on the, the meat and the milk of the Word so that we'll grow. Nothing about strife. And so he says these things minister only strife verse 5 now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart 
out of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. So is he speaking about the end of the commandment being the law or is he speaking of the end of the commandment being this passage right here about charge some that they teach no other doctrine? I'm not really sure, but in one sense, it doesn't really matter. What he's talking about here is to, to sum up the matter. Okay, the end of the thing, teleo. I think that's the word that Jesus used on the cross when he says it's finished, okay? Uh, he says the end of the matter is this. End of the commandment, <coughs> excuse me, is love. And so he sums it up in one word, love. It's not what the world calls love. It's not the, the homosexual agenda, love wins and all this kind of stuff. It is true love. It's agape love. It's the Lord's love. And that love that he has for us, we love him because he first loved us. It is a fruit of the spirit in the life of the believer as well. Love, joy, peace, right? And so it is agape love. It's a special love. It belongs to the Lord. It is unique. It is unconditional. It is perfect. And it is a love for, that God has for us and that love abiding in our hearts, coming back out of us. And our genuine love for God and a genuine love for others, both those in the church and love for the lost that we would lay down our lives to bring men to Christ, okay? So uh, he, he sums it up in love, but he sums it up. Let, let's turn and look at this real quickly. Keep your spot there and turn to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22. So here's Jesus speaking. Somebody ask him, uh, ask him, what is the first and greatest commandment? And we know the, this, the passage, but we're going to read it. Matthew 22, 37. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And then he goes on to say on these two commandments, Hang all the law and the prophets. Okay? So whether he's whether Paul was talking about the commandment that was given there, about charging some that they preach no other doctrine, or he was saying the end of the commandment of the Lord, either way it makes sense that uh, that love is is the end of it. To love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind is the first and greatest commandment. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. And then he says, on these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets. So the, literally, the word hang means hang. I looked it up. It, they, they're hanging there. They didn't go away. It's just th they're hanging there from this. And I, I just think about it all the time. If I say, for example, I love the Lord with all my heart. and Oh, I love my neighbor. I can say that all day long. But it, am I showing that? We're not to love in word. I mean, in word only in the tongue but indeed and in truth, right? So if I say I love the Lord with all my heart and I say that I love my neighbor as myself and I, okay, I don't have to worry about any of those other commandments, well, it will be evident from our lives if we're really loving the Lord with all of our hearts. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So there's a big check right there. Are you keeping his commandments? And that's how we abide in his love, he says in John 15, even as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Okay, so just to throw, it, it cheapens it when we just talk about love, 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 and sing about love, 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 
when it's not genuine in our hearts. That's all I'm saying there. So we need to be careful that that's real. And that, that's what he talks about here at the end of verse 5. It says, the end of the commandment is love out of a pure heart, a good conscience, and a faith unfeigned. Okay, a pure heart is just that. It's a pure heart. It's an undivided heart. It's a heart that's been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a heart that's dedicated to the Lord. And that's where this love comes from. And this is the end of the commandment. And a good conscience. We said one of the themes also, First uh, and Second Timothy and Titus, I think it's mentioned 11 times. I might, I might have my numbers wrong. One of the themes in these epistles is conscience. He talks about our conscience, okay, and man's conscience. And so uh, that this love comes out of a pure heart, comes from knowing the Lord. It says in Romans 5, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, okay? So you have to know the Lord to bear fruit of the Spirit. We have to know the Lord, including love, and we have to know the Lord and be filled with this spirit so that that is shed abroad in our hearts, that that comes back out of us in service and in deed and in worship to God and thanksgiving to God and in reality and not just cheapened by some little words like a politician. I, I love this group of people and they just want their vote. They don't love them. They just are appealing to them, right? We, we're not to live that way out of a pure heart, out of a good conscience. Paul said that he had a conscience void of offense to God and to man. What a way to live, right? His own heart didn't condemn him, and his own conscience didn't condemn him that he was uh, in sin or doing something or saying something that was wrong. He lived in such a way that he personally had a, a conscience void of offense. It was empty. It, did, it was not, it was a conscience that didn't have an offense towards God or towards men. That's a pure heart and a good conscience. Amen. And then he says the last thing in a faith unfeigned. Unfeigned, okay, is a biblical word. It literally means unhypocritical. Something's feigned, it's fake. You can feign like you're sick so you don't have to go to work or school. You know, you can feign that people can feign like they're Christians because they don't want to be embarrassed and people to know that they're not. People can feign a lot of things, but it literally means faith unfeigned means unhypocritical faith. It means it's a, it's a complete, unshakable confidence in God, and it's not hypocritical. It's not fake. It's not pretense. It's not show. And nothing about our Christian life should be fake or pretense or show. There's no way to truly love God and no way to truly love others if our heart is not pure, if our heart's filled with sin. You can't do it. You can't really love God if we're... Now, we can be forgiven and cleansed. I'm talking about if our heart's just filled with sin and we're living in that and walking in that. There's no way to truly love God when our hearts filled and darkened with sin, when our conscience is defiled, and the Bible speaks of a man's conscience can be defiled, when our faith is, is hypocritical and it's not genuine, our faith in God is not. Uh, the kind of faith that's unfeigned, this true faith in Christ cleans the conscience and clears the conscience. We can really sleep well tonight, tonight and at night as believers 
we know we're far from perfect and there's much God's wanting to do in all of our lives. We understand that. But we're not walking in sin, just living in sin and going to sleep in my sin and waking up the next morning in sin. We're walking and when we sin, we ask God to forgive us and cleanse us. And so the true kind of faith that's unfeigned, that's a sincere, genuine, saving faith and a faith by which we live and walk, that kind of faith is going to clear the conscience of guilt. And that kind of faith is going to produce this kind of love because it comes by faith in the Lord, by the working of his spirit. I'll say this, false and self-serving and self-promoting teachers and preachers and ministers and Christian authors, false teachers and so forth, never produce this kind of life. They don't have it themselves. And what they preach and espouse and hold to and promote is not going to produce this uh, clear conscience, right, and a pure heart and a faith unfeigned. The only thing that's going to produce that is the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit living inside of us. So he's, he's warning Timothy. And the thing about it is, y'all, even if we're not facing the exact same in our day or in our circles of Christianity, we're not facing the same uh, exact errors and false teachers. It really doesn't matter. We're going to look at what some of those specific ones were like we talked about. But it's the, the whole point is that stay in the truth. Just stay in the truth. Probably today, somewhere on the planet, there's a new, new error, a new trend in the church that's off somewhere, okay? I'm not going to spend my life chasing that down. Do I want to be familiar? Yes, I want to understand what's going on. But I need to stay in the truth. And if we stay in the truth, it doesn't matter w what particular flavor of error comes my way. What's the latest and greatest error in books that everybody's following, a revival or so forth? We keep our eyes upon Jesus. We're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. And we can, by the word of God, test the spirits and try the spirits whether they have got whether they're of God. And we can know and we can we can walk in the truth. So let's look at verse six. Okay. He talks about right, the pure heart, good conscience, faith unfeigned, from which, from that, and from sound doctrine, from which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain. Janglings. You might have a different translation, and some of those those particular words are a little different. But he says some have swerved. Okay, it means just what you think. They're they're uh, they're in the right track. They're staying, keeping it between the lines and between the ditch and the and the other lane, and they're keeping their vehicle where it goes. And they swerved. They swerved from the right way. And, and I always say that if you, if you leave the right way, then the only way you could possibly go is the wrong way. If, if I'm in the truth and I swerve the least little bit, then the only way that I've moved is away from Christ and away from the truth and into error. And it's not like you can just experience some of these different things. If I'm in the truth, and the truth doesn't change, and I'm in Christ, and I'm in the Word of God, sanctify them, Jesus said of his disciples, pray unto his Father, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. And we swerve from that, then, then we've moved away. We haven't just swerved some other direction, that other direction is false. Doesn't matter who we're following, 
how much we like the individual that we're following or respect the individual uh, that told us about this other belief or whatever. If we've swerved, we've had to have swerved from the truth, from which pure heart, good conscience, faith unfeigned. Some have swerved from that. That's all he's saying here. It could be you, it could be me, but it doesn't have to be. And I said it last week, and I'll pray, probably say it often. I don't live in fear of that. I just keep my eyes on Christ, and I walk in what he has given. That word swerved, it, it's the same, I believe it's the same word that's used uh, for, for sin. It means to miss the mark, to err, or to fall. To miss the mark, to err, to fall. It's actually a medical term, and it means to twist out of joint. Swerved here is a medical term. Like if something, you got your, your foot caught in some kind of mechanical equipment and it just wrenched it out of, out of socket, okay? It's a medical term, means to twist out of joint, all right? To twist out of joint. So some have swerved. Some have turned aside, he says in verse 6, from which, from the truth, some have swerved and turned aside unto vain janglings. You know what vain janglings are? If you were just to guess what that meant, you're probably right. Vain means empty, okay? Vain is, uh, is, is pointless. It's just empty. And so it's actually one of the words for idol is vanity. An idol is vanity because an idol can't help anybody. If you worship it and hold to it and make sacrifices to it and believe in it, it can't help anybody. It's vain. Okay, some have swerved and turned aside unto vain janglings. It literally means empty words, idle talk. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard it in a church? Have you ever heard it in a Bible study somewhere? Have you ever read a, a Christian book or seen a minister on TV? I'm, when I talk like this, I'm not saying that everyone is false. Please don't leave here and think we think we're the only ones. I'm simply talking about the false, whoever and wherever it is. Okay. How, whether it's prevalent, whether it's few. You know, in the last days, it's going to be very prevalent. So we understand that. But vain janglings means empty words, idle talk, many words with little sense or a little, uh, little weight to it. So maybe they just talk a lot. They just talk a lot and never say anything. I've heard ministers that talk a lot. And they may talk for an hour, and they may talk for an hour and 15 minutes. They might talk for an hour and a half. And then they do it again at a Bible study or whatever. And you walk away and you said, I didn't get anything out of that. What was that? What was, he, what was he talking about? What was she talking about? You're just nothing. No shortage of words. A lot of words. A lot of maybe emotion. But it's vain talk. It's empty words. The only word that's going to minister and build up our lives is the word of God. Okay? That's the only one. No other one will. No other word will. And so it's many words with little sense to them. A lot of words, but no real sense. We'll move to, to 7 and 8. Desiring... All right, some, some of these people, and I just, it's a kind of a run-on. These people, some, whoever these some are, they've swerved from the truth. And this is also their desire, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. So there are people here, again, this is a specific 
error. This is a specific false. There's a false teaching and there's a false teacher or teachers that teach it. All right. And there, this one of these specific ones is they desire to be teachers of the law. Teachers of the law. And we know very well that we're not under the law. Whatever is of grace is not of the law. Whatever is of the law is not of grace. We study Galatians on that, and it makes it very clear. But these specific people, it says they desire to be teachers of the law. But then he says they don't understand what they say, nor whether what they affirm. Isn't that something Paul's saying? Look, is he being judgmental? Well, I guess he's judging. He's not judgmental in the sense that we think of being someone who's their nose in the air and they think they're better than everyone else. He is absolutely judging these teachers and he's judging them based on their lives and he's judging them based on the word of God and what they say. What do they say? They say that is true. They say that is necessary for salvation and for sanctification and for a walk with God. Uh, any man to have a walk with God. And he says, that's not true. It's not true. He is judging it. We are to judge. Biggest, biggest problem, this world, I'm talking about lost people, and it's spilled over into the church, is that thou shalt not judge. And they put a period there and think that's it, end of story. You're a Christian, you shouldn't judge. You shouldn't judge this uh, lifestyle over here or this political Marxist movement over here or this teaching in the church here that's false. Don't judge that. Christians aren't to judge. We're absolutely to judge. It's an ignorance of the word that would make us think that. And when we hear it, we ought to judge that and say, no, and go to the scriptures and know what you're talking about. Paul says, don't you know we're going to judge angels and can't, you can't judge the least sin in your own church? There was incest going in the, on in the church, and you're, you're letting it go and saying, we're, look how filled with grace we are. He says, judge it. Judge it. Deal with it. But people are afraid to judge because they seem mean. Okay? Yes, you can be mean. We can be mean people. But I'm not going to run away from biblical judgment because somebody might think I'm mean. I'm not going to run away from confronting darkness with light when God tells me to do it because they might not like the fact that I did it. They'd rather me not do it so they can go on and do what they want to do and deceive some other people along with them. It's not my judge. I'm not, the, I'm not the doctrine police. I'm not the judge of every man's soul and every man's heart. God does that. But we can absolutely judge what's in the house of God. We can judge things outside of the house of God by the word of God and the things that that we're supposed to judge, okay? The Lord Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged, for with the same judgment that you judge, you're going to be judged with. I'm paraphrasing. And so we need to be careful. It, can you be judged by the word of God? Then that's how you can judge people. You understand what I'm saying? The same judgment you judge by the word of God to say this doctrine is false and here's why. I don't hate this individual who's preaching it. This doctrine is incorrect. I'm judging it. And if he keeps on teaching it or she keeps on teaching it after she's been confronted with the truth, then we can begin to judge them individually because they've chosen that and they want that. They refuse to be corrected by the word of God. 
that same measure that you judge it, you're going to be judged with. So be careful. Judge in love. Be prayed up. Be filled with the Holy Ghost. Your job is not to blast people out of the water with a 12-gauge shotgun like a duck sitting on water. Your job is to go to them and bring the gospel to them and bring the truth to them to correct them from their error that you can walk together in Christ. It may not turn out that way, but that's my intent in my heart. It should be. Okay, considering yourselves, it says in Galatians, brethren, you that are spiritual, if there's someone overtaken in a fault, you go, you that are spiritual, go to them and, and considering yourselves, lest you also be tempted. But when all that's done, we still need to be able to go and we go with the word of God and we go with grace and we go wanting them to do well, wanting them to receive it wanting them to turn back to Christ like we've had to turn back to Christ for, for different things, right? That's what we want and desire. So, and, and Jesus goes on to say about that, he says, judge not after the appearance or after the flesh. This is another scripture on judging that you don't hear all the time. But Jesus said it in John chapter 7, verse 24, I believe. Judge not after the appearance you know, pick somebody, uh, you know, whoever. D doesn't look, look, look like a good Christian. I'm just judging her. Don't judge that way. He says, but judge righteous judgment. So I am to judge. Don't judge after the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. And that, again, is going to be through the word of God. It's going to be gracious, I guess is the way you would say. It's going to be filled with grace and mercy and kindness and love. Okay, like the woman caught in adultery. Jesus said, I'm not going to condemn you, but go and sin no more. He was kind to her, but he told her, don't don't live this way anymore. Right. Don't live this way anymore. He dealt with her about it, but he's very kind and loving. Y'all understand the point with that. So when we're talking about this um, and we say it's just. Remember, this is not just Paul and Timothy and the church in Ephesus or a church 2,000 years ago. This is the Holy Ghost given instructions and basis so that for his people to live. Remember in verse chapter 3, verse 15, if I tarry long that you may know how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. So it has to do with behavior, not behaving like straighten up, sit up straight, right? Stop chewing gum. Behavior in the house of God when it comes to the things of God and sound doctrine, how we worship, how we pray. What's true godliness? What does that look like? What's to come from the pulpit? How am I to receive that in the pew? What, you know, how are we to hold each other accountable? That type of behavior. Who do you put in leadership? Your best buddy or somebody that measure, meets the qualifications to be put in leadership, to be a teaching elder, for example. Who do you put? This is covered in these epistles. That's the behavior that he's talking about. So, y'all, I'm just going to, I want to close there because next week uh, I want to really spend some time on verses 9 and 10. Well, 8 through, 8 through 10. The, about the law, how, how is the law, and we, we're in an age of grace, 
there's an old covenant, which would have been the Levitical law with the law of Moses. Jesus said, there's a new covenant in my blood. And he says here that the law is to be used lawfully. How or what relevance or part does the law have in the life of a believer who's washed in the blood of Jesus? Is there anything or do we just crumple it up and throw it in the trash can and say it's stupid and bad? We're going to look at that a little bit next week. Okay, so it's worth looking at because, again, to me, that topic and that subject combats true knowledge of it and understanding of it. Paul said there's a lawful use of the law in the church. Okay, knowing that is going to help us keep us falling, falling from those type of errors and following those type of false teachers and teachings. So we'll look at that. Uh, Dee, you can come on up. We're going to close in prayer. But y'all just understand, I touched on it. and uh, I believe the Lord's ministering to us through his word. And we need to hang on to it. We need to learn it. Just hang on to it. Learn it. Walk in it. Grow in it. Mature in it. Well, I haven't heard that before. I never thought about judging before. Well, my, my number one purpose as a believer is not to be a judge, but it is part of what we do. It's for safety. It's for spiritual safety, for your life, for your children, for the people that you minister to, for your church. You being able to judge and discern this is of God and this is not is important. Absolutely necessary. Okay, you have to have it. And so ask God. You're filled with the spirit, right? It's the, the word of God is quick and powerful. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of, intents of the heart. The word of God is able to judge. The Spirit of God and the Word of God together is able to judge and discern. And there's a holy, godly, kind, Christ-like way to do it. And that's what we're after. Amen? Y'all stand with me.